here comes the queer hackle. I like it thick. It's got to be thick. Make it, you know, and then everybody's going, get, get the altar thick. We need a thick altar. That's so fantastic. That's us not having to shame our queerness Mm -hmm. and being able to create, create a sacred altar at the same time. Hello, beloved listeners. This is Adrian Marie Brown, writer of stories and songs, emergent strategist, and pleasure activist, living in the land of the Shikori, Spilure, Tuscarora, Eno, and Lumbee peoples. And this is How to Survive the End of the World, our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. When I say our, of course, I'm including my co host and sister, Autumn, who is currently on sabbatical. Hope you're having fun, Autumn. In her absence, and in honor of my book, Fables and Spells, which came out last year, I'm going full witch this season and having conversations with some of my favorite witches, and I will also read you bits and pieces from the book. What I mean by witch is people who work with all elements of the natural world, including human nature, to generate more possibilities. Witching is engaging the essential natural world with magic or supernatural intentions, But some names for what I'm including in the witch work might not be ones you normally think of that way. So I'm including shamanism, sorcery, seeing, healing, herbalism, midwifery and doula labor, root work, conjuring, ritual and spell casting, astrology and divination, sound baths, altar building, song channeling, all kinds of ways of building a direct relationship with the realm of the spirit, the ethereal, and us here. My guest today is someone who I would describe as like one of the baddest bitches I know, (laughs) one of the most incredible humans I know, and someone who I've really looked up to for a very long time. I remember meeting Sara, Sara Flores, gosh, a long, long, long time ago. Let's just say that. We were bebés. And I remember immediately being like, wow, Sara knows things. They really seem to know some things about this world intuitively that I'm struggling to understand or struggling to learn. At the time, Sada was a nurse and in, in the process of learning everything about nursing, but also on a path towards midwifery. And I think at that time you were doing it as in doula work, but you were on the path towards midwifery, if it's what I'm thinking of. Since then, Sada has founded something called Reclaim Midwifery and is basically a queer icon. And I want to say that when I invited Sada on the show, they were immediately like, I don't really think of myself as a witch, but I will come and talk to you about this. And that made me very excited because <laughs> I was like, absolutely. That, these are the kind of conversations I want to have, um, actually. So Sada, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here, Adrian. It is truly a pleasure to be in this conversation with you. I'm so excited you're here. And I hope that it is a conversation that is in service to everything that you're here on earth to do, uh, in addition to my curiosity. <laughs> so the first thing I always love to ask people is just, how are you today? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah. I mm-hmm. am really relaxed today. I spent yesterday soaking in hot springs and Ooh. had just a wonderful, wonderful experience. I'm joining you from occupied Lishan Ohlone territory, uh, Bay Area, California. And yeah. I had the privilege of being in um, hot springs that you know flourish here on the West Coast. So today I'm really in my body, relaxed. Uh, the sun is shining where I'm at, and I'm thrilled to be here with you. Oh my gosh! As soon as you say hot springs, it's like a somatic response in my body of remembering what that feels like to be immersed in. That's very helpful for me right now. Um, I know that I'm coming into this season and into the conversation using the language of witch, and I'm also trying to use it in a very open way. And I'm thinking about the work that you do as a midwife and a doula and how for a long time in our history, there's been a a lot of overlap in those realms of work. Um, 
But I wanted to ask you how you identify the various kinds of work that you do. Yeah, thank you so much for the question. And, you know, indeed, you're right. When you reached out and I shared that I (laughs) didn't identify as a witch, I thought it really opened something for us of like, well, let's Mm -hmm. explore this together. Um, And it's not the first time that I've either been kind of asked, do I identify as a witch or assumed that I did, which I take as a high compliment. (laughs) It's nothing to be offended by in my um, spirit. It's a way that I say like, oh, you're powerful. What's up? (laughs) And and I love that. I really, really love that. Um, And I would say that I feel like there is a very clear thread between all of the healing modalities or arts that you um, opened up with describing, you know, from Reiki to body work to midwifery to um, areas that sometimes don't really get as much intention around uplifting as healing arts like food preparation, farming, um, braiding hair and doing, you know, different types of body adornment like tattoo artists, like The range is really wide in my understanding of what can bring in intentional healing, intentional divination to someone's life. So to Mm. me, witch work um, can have a lot of different names, as you mentioned, but the theme is that there is presencing. One brings their presence to the moment and calls on all of the energies that they have access to, whether that's through the natural world, that's through ways of knowing about their body, like knowing how to steady their breath, their heartbeat, the laying on of hands, more more technical hand skills, like things that I do with my hands as a midwife, or things that a jewelry maker might do with their hands to make a powerful uh, totem to wear. But there's a presencing that brings in a certain energy and a a real teaching brought to me by one of my herbalist teachers that I carry with me um, always. That teacher is Atava Garcia Swayziki, and she's an herbalist and a two-spirit queer young elder and the foundress of Ancestral Apothecary and Seisei Mana um, Herbalist School. And one of her teachers shared with her where intention flows, energy goes. Mm -hmm. And she shared that with me. And sometimes I play with the words where energy goes, intention flows, where intention goes, energy flows. You You can dance with it, but it's a presencing. If I bring my energy and intention to a moment and my full presence there and draw on everything I have access to. Yes. Whatever I put that intention into is going to be very powerful. Actually. I believe that. And I believe that for you. I believe that for all the listeners. So that to me is how I bring in a sacred healing art to what I do, which also could be called being a witch. I would use terms more like brujex or curanderex um, and midwife or parterex. And and for those who um, are hearing, you know, the Spanish and what I'm saying, bruja or brujo, um, those are Spanish words for for witch. And partera is the um, Spanish word for midwife. And curandera, curandero is a Spanish word for healer. And intentionally, I'm querying that language and yeah. I'm putting an X at the end, taking away the binary of masculine or feminine in that language um, because my lineage is very queer. So I, I identify more with those terms for what could be called witch. But regardless, it's about bringing presencing and setting intention and allowing the energy to flow that way. I love that. I love that also because it, you know, I keep thinking about how there's these formal paths and informal paths into this journey. And for so many of us, there was the first step in some way was a calling to like, wait, there's something else that happens when I'm truly present. There's something that moves through me um, and that I want to even be more present for and more available to that changes the conditions of what can happen 
um, where I am and in the world and trying to figure out what do I do with that? <laughs> is it a superpower? Is it, you know, you know, just, yeah, is it something I can use to heal? Is it something I can use to change the world? Is it something I can use to heal myself? Um, so I'm curious for you, when did you first realize that you were drawn to this presencing work? Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the question. And it um, was something that I enjoyed reflecting on because it, this part of me is as old as I am. And in fact, it extends before I was in this body. I will say though, for sure, I know it's as old as I am in this body. I'm, I'm going on 46. And um, I can recall as a child, being in my mother's garden um, in Detroit, Michigan, where I was raised, occupied Anishinaabe. Hey, what up though? 313 hey. in the house. <laughs> always. Can't not shout out Detroit, always. I'm um, still holding on to my phone numbers. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, that, I'm like, it's 313. That's identity right along. there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and for, for the Detroiters tuning in, you know, and folks familiar with the area, I was raised in Northwest Detroit on the corner of Joy. Like I was raised on a street called Stout, if you know Stout, a block off of Joy and Evergreen. And it was hot. It was the neighborhood was hot and I was born in 1977. So my childhood was the early eighties in Detroit and there was such a um, intentional impact of police terrorism in my neighborhood. And that presence of police terrorism was a backdrop to my mother's garden and my mother's garden was an antidote to the food desert that we didn't have that language, but was the truth of the upbringing in Detroit, which was like, if you want some veggies, you're going to have to drive to a whole nother city really to get any fresh fruits and vegetables because mm -hmm. the grocery store on the corner Farmer Jack's doesn't really have anything fresh. And I would be in that garden that my mother created. And my father helped sometimes too with like rototilling and, and things like that. But it was really my mom's garden. And the magic of working with those plants while literally shit's popping off all around me on every corner. And I mean, real things that were yeah. um, putting my life at risk at times. But I could go deep into picking these red berries from the bushes in the garden or making some magic potion at three or four with a variety of plants from her garden that I didn't know the names of and she didn't teach it to me that way. And they probably weren't even always medicinal. It'd be like, you know, the leaves off of like <laughs> some, some, you know, Thing that was growing, but and I didn't eat them or consume them. I did You're have like, a sauce. I'm making potions, <laughs> but I'm making potions, that, right? <laughs> and it's it transported me into a way of being in a safe imaginary land as a young child, mm. a safe place where I felt I had power and agency and could be a, a helper to those around me, and that really, honestly, just easily translated into becoming an, a helper in my family for the sick members of my family. Uh, yes. It was a very easy translation from this is, you know, my magic potion that I just made to, oh, my Nana has Parkinson's disease and it has difficulty with swallowing and I can make her a cup of tea at the age of eight, nine, 10, and I can bring it to her with that same presencing, that good intention, that feeling of, I love you, and I'm going to bring you something to help you. And I'm going to receive too, because it's mutual when, when you f let that energy flow. Yeah. And, and I could just keep going. Like There are just so many stories that built from those early days of plant medicine as my introduction mm -hmm. that then turned into crystals as a teenager that then turned into what now I understand as sacred kink as a young 20, 30 year old, yes. you know, and understanding that there was healing energy in sexual interactions that 
were beyond what I was understanding um, was being fed to me by popular culture about what sex was. (laughs) You're like, it's not just penetration. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that. And and then all the way into my midwifery to today um, and the way I carry my medicine. So it's in my bones and has never been separate from my identity. Uh, That it makes so much sense given how you feel, the solidity of how you feel, it makes so much sense to have that be your answer about this trajectory. And something you just said gave me a flicker of hope. I've been feeling very overwhelmed and hopeless by the mass shootings that have been happening and the level of random, but not random violence that's been happening. And it helps to remember that there are so many who have lived through war zones in this country um, that, you know, whether they're named or unnamed war zones, but, you know, times and periods where gun violence in particular was really heightened and other forms of violence were really heightened and normalized, you know, and that there is a solution beyond policy, (laughs) right? When you're like, okay, that no one is doing what they need to do at the level of governance And then here you are as a child being able to generate a space of safety in your mother's garden. And that, I don't know, there's just something about that juxtaposition of being like, don't stop growing, don't stop turning to the earth. And it makes me think like, how was the earth a part of that protection? You know, that's like, there's some field that gets created (laughs) when you are in direct touch with the land Um, that, yeah, I just can, I can almost see you as a little three-year-old with this (laughs) garden safety bubble around you. And I'm so grateful that your mom did that. Thank you. Gardening work. You know, if I may, just to follow up on the thread of um, gun violence, it just is coming to me that I don't want to miss this moment to speak to this um, because not only was that my experience as a young child, but I also um, lived through uh, a school shooting Um, before we had this understanding of like mass school shootings. Um, But in Tucson, Arizona, where I went to nursing school um, in 2002, I believe, um, there there was a school shooting at my college and um, three of my professors. So activation warning, folks, as we're talking about this, you know. um, Thank you. And, you know, three of my professors were killed and the, um, the... shooter, um, also was killed. And, um, I, along with my classmates, you know, fled that building and, and ran for our lives. Um, and, and my life was spared as well as, you know, many of our classmates, um, but some were lost. And I am bringing it up because you brought this really important piece up that the teachings I have taught me to go back to that campus later and call my spirit back into my body to go get myself back and go put down medicine on the earth. In my case, the teachings were specific medicines and go call my name to bring myself back to my body. Wow. And then be able to move forward in a way that still involved grief, that still involved fear, that still involved the the body memories, but to be integrated back into my spirit, because when we have these really very scary moments, including the loss of a a friend like you've just gone through, it is really natural, I think, for us to dissociate or go into these spaces where um, we don't know how to hold it all at once. And so a part of what we're talking about, these medicine ways, these healing ways, I I hope this is helpful for for you or or someone else. And I know it's been helpful for me that we can actually, we don't always have to call a healer, always have to go find a witch, always have to go find a kudundetex. We don't have have to to go study. (laughs) We first have to call ourselves back because the medicine can't even get to us if we're not in our bodies, if we're not occupying our bodies. So I just want to share that while those have been really difficult moments for myself and anybody else who's lived through those and 
that to me is a key part of what I think we're talking about with um, brujaria or, you know, yes. witchcraft or healing arts or midwifery for me is that we carry the medicine inside of ourselves. Literally. In fact, yes. we are the medicine. <laughs> Yes. And so the first thing we have to do is make sure we can be integrated in our bodies so that we can have presencing. Yeah. I want folks to know every time I talk to Sada, there's what I intended to do. <laughs> there's like, I want to ask you this. And then there's what happens because the power of your presence. And and there's a dance that always takes me into new realms. I always learn. And I think that's part of your magic as well. Um. So there was something else you said before we move on. You talked about the kink and the way that kink opened up as a sacred space. You're one of the people who I feel like in the most wholesome way carry sex up front in who you are, mm. right? Um, do you feel like that has been an intentional thing or is that also just like, that's just who I am. That's just how I am. Or does it feel, you know, because I, I feel like, Similarly, I went through phases where I was like, I'm wiling out and that's fun and like claiming all my sexual capacities and that's fun. But I feel like something new has been happening where I'm like, oh, I'm really claiming the sacred power of this and trying to forward it in every conversation I enter, trying to forward into how people, I'm like, part of my power is the pleasure I experience in this body and the way I negotiate with others. Yeah, I'm just curious if there's any more there that you want to share. Yeah, sure. I love that. Thank you yeah. for sharing where you're at on the journey. Um, this is not just how I woke <laughs> up. No, I definitely have had to, this has been um, work and is a continued practice of work uh, because I am queer, I'm non-binary, Trans fit sometimes, mm. indigiqueer, mm -hmm. two-spirit, and I've always been this way, and therefore, I've also been, I'm a survivor of targeted yeah. violence towards my body um, that has been certainly physical in nature at times, but almost always with a sexual component. And so to own my sensuality and sexuality is work yes, and a practice. And it's almost like a wrestling it back out of the hands of those who would have either you know, malintentions straight up, like the homophobes, the transphobes, yeah. the, you know, patriarchy, the white supremacists, like certainly I will wrestle that back. Mm -hmm. But even within a queer trans BIPOC context of, of like folks who would maybe be perceived to have my best intentions in mind and vice versa, but we carry quite a bit of, um, you know, we've got some wounds in our communities. Oh, yeah. And so we have to be intentional, I think, about owning and caretaking our own sensual and sexual practices mm -hmm. with healthy, disciplined boundaries that are about meeting one another from a place of wholeness yes. versus seeking wholeness through the validation of someone else. Yes. So this is a daily practice yes, <laughs> and um, it's going to continue to be so. And and I, I hope um, because I have the privilege of being a parent, I hope that much of the work that I do with myself <laughs> this lifetime can have the opportunity of passing to my daughter um, a different narrative mm -hmm. about her body and her story. Um, so I take it really seriously and I appreciate you uplifting that, that you've witnessed that in me. Um, yeah. and, and I have to put in daily practice. I love that. I really love that. I feel like, you know, there's times when you've told me about experiences you're having as a midwife or other things where it's like helping people remember, like you're in a body and this can be a pleasurable thing. This could be, that might help you, <laughs> you know, and just being like, all oh, right, for me as a young doula being like. That's part of my work is to continuously bring people back 
into themselves and to rethink what this strong feeling could even be, <laughs> you know? Um, yes. Yeah. So you mentioned that you have a long queer lineage and I wanted to ask you to just give a little bit more light on that. Like who would you call the ancestors of this presencing work, this Bruhaya? And is there a formal lineage to the way you do your work? Um, or has it been mostly gathered and informal somewhere in between? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I love to talk about this lineage because I'm so proud to be part of the arc of um, queer, trans, non-binary, gender expansive, indigenous queer folks um, who carry forward the seed that our ancestors planted and had to protect so that we could actually survive and be alive now. Um, there was a time that I believe very strongly that two-spirit, queer, gender expansive folks um, who are our ancestors were intentionally targeted as the very first line of genocide by colonial powers. Uh -huh. And I am on their shoulders. Yes. Some of them blood related, some of them not, but they are my ancestors. They are the lineage of two-spirit queer healers, midwives, teachers, kudendedex folks. And I feel them mm. through my body at times telling me, go forward. You can do this with your queerness intact. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, I'll, I'll use the example of midwifery. I've been um, attending births and practicing midwifery and learning about midwifery for 25 years now. So I started um, really young. You know, mm -hmm. I got my calling to midwifery when I was 17. And so my whole life's work has been about midwifery. And in the early years of midwifery, I thought I had to perform as cisgender right. to be able to access the type of spaces that I, I knew I was called to be in. I was called to be a home birth midwife. I was called to be a community midwife. And I was called to be a midwife to BIPOC, marginalized folks. Yep. Yet I thought that that also meant I had to check my queerness at the door yeah. because I was concerned that if I was all those things, queer, BIPOC, yeah. <laughs> uh, home birth midwife, it, 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 I couldn't survive. Right. I, and, and that, those were true survival techniques. I felt like I had to uh, choose. And I, the pandemic really helped me <laughs> actually, um, just let go of some of those ideas of who I, how I had to um, silo out my identities and really marry back in all of my, my beautiful ways that I, I have in this world. And so I kind of came out in a way back into midwifery with like my non-binary identity, my trans identity, my two-spirit identity, much more upfront. I was always queer. I wasn't ever in the closet yeah. about that, but I was performing cis yeah. to pass and to survive. That's my queer ancestors. That's the transcestors telling me, in fact, being a queer midwife is an extra superpower. It's even extra special. It's even more hand skills yeah. that are divine yes. because I am embodied in my hands as a queer person yes. and I can be present in my hands in a way that really serve me as a midwife that are not a deficit, yeah. but in fact, a strength. So that's some of the ways that these ancestors that I don't have the names of come, come through literally in my body saying, it's safe now. You've survived and gained access. You can now truly get let go of any cis performance and really be fully integrated. Yes. And then I'm fortunate, so fortunate that I have living teachers too. Oh. Um, so I've got these ancestors who come through. Um, and then I mentioned Atava Garcia Swaziki, who yeah. is a, a formal herbalist teacher, um, but because she teaches as a curanderex, 
it's beyond plant medicine as just like a Western way we think of it as like formulas or this plant is for that, or, you know, this formula is going to help you with that. It's about relationships with plants, about relationships with earth and relationships with self and spirit. So she's a, a really special teacher to me. I also feel like a real lineage I come um, from is a lineage of two-spirit Mexica danza, which some people call like Aztec dance. That's Ah. incorrect, Uh but uh folks might know what it is if you call it Aztec dance, but Mm -hmm. it is not owned by the Aztecs. (laughs) It's not a correct term, (laughs) but Mexica is much more of a general term for... um, a, a specific type of indigenous peoples of the Americas, but also an umbrella term for um, indigenous peoples of the Americas who traveled throughout the Americas. And that is part of my lineage. And so I have teachers who are two spirit danzantes who have taught me to dance and bring prayer through my body in movement with such a fantastic queer lens, such a fantastic queer lens. Like one of my favorite parts of setting up an altar in Two-Spirit Danza is that this joke gets made every time. The joke is we're setting up the altar, we're setting up the, the specific energies which involve making like very um, symmetrical circles and symmetrical shapes yeah. to represent the different directions. And somebody will say, how's this line? And someone else will say, make it thicker. And then here, here comes the queer tackle. I like it thick. It's <laughs> gotta be thick. Make it, you know, and then everybody's going, get get the altar thick. We need a thick altar. That's so yes. fantastic. That's us not having to shame our queerness mm-hmm. and being able to create create a sacred altar at the same time. Mm-hmm. So those are those are living people that I'm um so honored to dance with. Mm. And then I'll just name two more because um, there's many, but uh, Rahani Gonzalez, who is a medicine keeper, a two-spirit young elder. Um, and during the pandemic, I was honored to be part of a group that they co-founded uh, called the Circle of Sowers. I think you would be really interested in this. Um, we gathered around Octavia Butler's work, um, Parables, and yes. right, already. <laughs> And we, for many, many weeks, gathered on Zoom in 2020 and saw ourselves as the seeds for the future of surviving the apocalypse, right? Here we are on this podcast having this conversation. And it was really through Rahani's teachings that I came to understand that our bodies are the sacred altar, that we carry the medicine on our bodies. Cause part of what we talked about were like our go bags and what we would take. And we talked about it from a disability justice lens that not everybody can carry a big old backpack yeah. and like trek down the road. And so if you're used to needing all your crystals to pray and all the copal and all of the water and feathers and yes. all of the different things that many of us have on our altar, how are you going to carry that? Yep. <laughs> because you also need a, you know, water, and I think um, about this all the time. Intense. I'm like, I need all my tarot decks and water. Right. Yep. And so really through <laughs> um, the teachings of Rahani, I came to understand that we are the medicine bag. We carry mm. the medicine in our bodies. Um, and I just want to shout out one more teacher because he's so important to me. My um, cousin, my primo, my my just love, um, Trey Vasquez, who oh, is Trey. also just such a special teacher in the way he carries his medicine so humbly um, and carries it with such uh, a body wisdom as well. So I come from that those queer lineages, both um, living and from the ancestral realm. Hello, beloved survivors. This is Autumn. I'm emerging briefly from the new home I made for myself in the forest among the gnomes and the fae and magical creatures of all kind to remind you that if you listen to this show regularly, you might consider making a gift to support our work in 2024. And I'll tell you a little bit about why. 
Adrienne and I and our producer, Zach, have always felt strongly that we can best protect the content of our show by being listener-supported rather than ad-sponsored. Being financially supported by the people who are most directly impacted by our show means that we can fearlessly move towards the most difficult topics, the most challenging conversations, and the most courageous edges of the time we are living through. From our Apocalypse Survival episode on the right to arm and defend ourselves, which aired in the midst of the 2020 uprising, to our 2023 ceasefire episode on the genocide being perpetrated on the Palestinian people in Gaza, we have maintained our show as a place to hold out visionary possibility with our eyes trained on liberation for all oppressed peoples. That's because we aren't worried about being dropped or canceled. We know that the people who most need to hear us can and will hear us. And that's because of you. So we want to thank you, all of you, who support our show in all of the myriad ways that you do it. And we want to invite those of you who haven't yet to consider making a sustaining gift via Patreon. In exchange, you do get some sweet, cute merch, plus access to content that we record only for patrons. So you can go to patreon.com slash end of the world show to learn more. Um, and if you're wondering if I'm coming back, I'm coming back. Removing the binary from so much of the language is, is helps it to align with who we are and what we're doing. And then there's the word midwife, which is, <laughs> you know, like, I, I dance with, you know, I'm just like, I know that this is the field doula also, you know, these languages, you know, I remember at some point I was in my doula journey and someone was like, you know, that means slave. And I was like, I know that that's one and one way of understanding it and servant to a, you know, servant to a birthing parent is another. And the midwife is like, it literally wife is in it. So I just wonder for you, if there's any ways that you're like, Querying that language already for yourself, or, or if this is part of the, you know, because of who you're in community with, it's like it's already. I imagine it's already a big deal when people are like, "I'm getting a midwife," and then mm-hmm. it's like right. that might not be the place to be like. Also, <laughs> you know, let's let's yeah, switch it up. But anyway, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Oh yeah. No, I'm troubling those waters. Yeah, I have <laughs> absolute. Um, every reason to believe we need to unearth what's what's behind all of this. Yes. Um, my sister Ana Maria Flores, um, who also is somebody who ident- well, not also because I don't identify as a witch, but she identifies as a witch. <laughs> so as far as in the family, yeah. um, also is in the healing arts. And she talks about language liberation. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, she has created a witchy literary theory and has taught me a lot about how language locates you and helps and locate and helps other people to locate you Mm. and midwife and doula are location languages in so many ways and really deserve to be uplifted for what they have to offer and questioned for the baggage that they bring with them. And in addition to reclaim um, being my midwifery practice, I also am honored to be the co-founder of Queerception. Oh, yeah. And Courtney Hooks is my fellow midwife, um, and we are the founders of Queerception. And Queerception, you know, is its own word play, right? The combination of the words queer and conception. Yes. And our work is about creating and expanding and nourishing queer families in principled and ethical ways. And we see queerception as a compass to center queer and trans folks and intersex folks, non-binary folks, um, gender expansive folks as the central seat of authority in their own bodies and their own experience as to whether they choose to have children, choose not to access abortion, raise their fur babies with support, make intentional um, families of origin with legal support amongst a group of polyamorous adults. Like the range is just really wide, but we are the authority as queer folks. I love that. And midwife 
has space in queerception because again it it's got a location but the latin root of the word um the mid is with the wife with is woman Mm -hmm. so it translates to with woman yeah and i've got some problems with that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because not only women give birth right um and so that's why i like to be an agitator around the language, not the wife in the way we think of it in modern times, because this is yeah. old English Latin. And so really knowing that there are a range of people who give birth yes. who are way outside of women. And so I really play with the idea that we're not in service to woman. Yeah. The doula is not in service to the birthing person. We are companions to the energy that moves through people along the journey from womb to tomb Yes, that may involve conception, may involve prevention, may involve a radical hysterectomy and gender affirming surgery. Yes. And that's who we're in service of. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm not with woman. I'm in service of energy. I'm in service of this portal that I have the privilege and training to stand at Mm -hmm. and hold a container for. And I can't wait for some listener out there to go ahead and give us a new word. (laughs) What is it? The young people are going to come with it. I'm positive. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to say, what you mean is period. Fill it in. Fill it in. That's great. For now, I am proud of the work that it's taken to arrive at midwife Mm -hmm. because it has been work and the colonial legacy would have already had midwifery lost and forgotten. Yes. If those of us who haven't struggled to keep it didn't keep saying midwives are, are essential. Yes. And I'm ready. I'm ready for that changeover in language and for the liberatory language that will be more expansive. And in the meantime, every time I talk about it, yeah, I agitate and trouble and ask for input in a way that will help us grow together in in an emancipatory way that I am almost positive will happen because of youth (laughs) being on some next level. It always is. They're like, I've got the next words, you know, the next words for this next phase of our human development. Um, You have covered, you've shared with us a lot of the ways that you do your work. And I feel like it's very exciting. Is there anything else in there or anything you want to specify in terms of how you do your presencing work? You are doing your midwife work. You're working with perception. Are there other things that you want folks to know about or specifics? Yeah, thank you. I do think there's one more piece that is more about um, being a cultural worker, which mm-hmm. is also an identity that I carry, um, that I, I really do want to be intentional about talking a little bit about the colonial legacy on our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, Reclaim, my midwifery practice, stands, it's an acronym, and it stands for Resisting Colonial Legacy and its impact on medicine. Mm. And so I really do appreciate the concept like of Sankofa, right? Understanding where we came from to know where we're going. Mm -hmm. And I want to mention that there was very intentional othering of what could be called witches. I mean, specifically witches, like witch hunts and and the genocide of people who were deemed to be witches um, throughout the world, but certainly here on Turtle Island, you know, on what is now um, considered New England. And other places in the world have their own stories and it's still happening in current, current times where there's this othering of those who have, you know, this, this magic or this ability to heal or this ability to see through portals or this ability to, um, shape things in a way that are not visible to the naked eye. Yes. And I actually feel like that othering, which was very intentional and violent, Mm -hmm. 
And part of the colonial legacy that especially targeted queer and trans folks and two-spirit folks is still present very much today. And there's a continued othering of these arts, these healing ways, these modalities that some might call, you know, brujariacs or other terms. But it's the othering is reverence. It's like, oh, the midwife is so revered. The person who is a healer is so revered. I have to see this particular root doctor because they're so revered. That is another form of othering. It's another way to say, oh, you're different and I'm not like you. You're not like me. And in fact, I need something from you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I just want to uplift that all of the teachings I've really felt the most resonant with help me feel like I have the medicine bag that I need. And it's both a physical bag, but it's also just my, my spirit is being held by the medicine bag, which is my body. And there are times where you need somebody who spent more time with a certain medicine in their medicine bag. Maybe they've studied the plant medicine longer. Maybe they've studied the dream world longer. Maybe they know how to work with certain um, energies because they've spent more time with it, but not because they're different. Yeah. Okay. Not because they're accessing something that everybody can't access. Yeah. You know, if you look at children, children will be like, oh, yeah, I'm magic. I'm magic. I know how to they do magic. Totally I'm a witch. It. I'm a wizard. Mm-hmm. I'm a warlock. That None of them are like, oh, well, that one's the witch over there. Go see, you know, my my friend. They're like, I am. I'm that, too. I have that, too. Mm-hmm. And I just really want to uplift and ask us to question if reverence can sometimes be complicated by a colonial lens that could also be othering. Yes. And, and then what it does to the sustainability of those who are revered mm-hmm. and how it makes it not sustainable, for example, to be a midwife. If as a midwife, I'm working with folks who don't know how to soak in their own baths and reintegrate their own spirit and grieve on their own. Yeah. And don't believe that they can make their own self a cup of tea that will have healing powers if yes. they presence themselves. Because it is really too much work to ask of one person to heal a whole community or to hold all that energy. (laughs) Well, you know, there's this whole like meme thread thing that's like, basically, I'm in therapy for people who won't go to therapy. And I think that that really resonates here, right? Is that a lot of times it's like, I'm awakening into my own presence and my own healing path. And then the more I drop into that, the more people are like, like, I'm not going to do mine. I'm going to just come and kind of succubus off of yours. And, you know, I know that I know both sides of that coin, right? Like I know based on how I was raised that I didn't necessarily think that that was allowed, that I was allowed to just access my own divinity and my own presence and my own power. And so then it was like, well, that person's got something. And in the same way, I would go to a priest or preacher. I I have to go that way. And it's so liberating. Oh, my God. It's the most liberating thing to recognize I have it and everyone around me has it. And the way we can do our work with each other is continuously turning people towards their own power. You know, that's actually been always my favorite part of being a doula is like, what is your body telling you to do right now? What is your body telling you that you need right now, (laughs) you know, like I'm here to support that, um, that, that flow in you and to, to make it louder, if anything, you know? Um, so this is really, I hope all the listeners are listening, like really, (laughs) you know, the secret mission, I think of this whole season is for people to recognize, like you all have pieces of this (laughs) and we need all of it. So, if you were to point to some of the skills of presencing that you wish everyone had in this apocalyptic time, what are a couple of things you would, you would point people towards? Yeah, thank you. I love that because I do think we need to be specific Yes, yes. <laughs> um, because it is really a, <laughs> a very natural place to feel lost mm-hmm. or wonder 
do I have access to this? Do I have a right to this? That yeah. is an internal narrative that is in, intentional from the colonial impact, right? Yeah. And from white supremacy and patriarchy and homophobia. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I was taught by Atava that plant medicine is always around mm -hmm. and it's always the plant that you need that will be growing nearest you. Mm. So sometimes that's a blade of grass. Yeah. And I really would start there. I would start by looking around mm. right where you are in the moment because what might be growing through a crack in the cement mm. outside of your apartment, what might be in the parking lot where you park your car, what might be growing in your neighbor's overgrown mm -hmm. you know, backyard. Yeah. Those may be allies that are there for a reason. <sighs> and our plant allies are trying to talk to us. That is beautiful. And sometimes they're not who we're wanting to look for. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you who keeps showing up for me right now <laughs> is Yarrow. Yarrow, it's pronounced different ways, but yeah. Yarrow. That's boundary medicine. Yeah. And <laughs> is is Yarrow trying to be like, hey, do you see you need me? You need me. I'm right I'm gonna here. I'm going to keep showing up. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I'm like, wait, where's the Damiana? Where's, mm -hmm. you know, these <laughs> other plants that I think is what I need because it's spring and I'm, you know, yeah. feeling alive. Yes. Yeah. No, Yarrow's like, you better put some like, boundaries, your boundaries down. on that baby girl. <laughs> And so listening, listening to that, right, what's around us, what's around us. And if plants don't speak to you, there's going to be other things around you. There might be a spider yeah. putting up a web. Yes. Spider medicine has a lot of different teachings, yeah. but one of the obvious pieces is about weaving. Yes. Right? So is there spider medicine around you? Are there mushrooms growing? Yes. Is there medicine that's talking to you about mycelium and interconnectedness? Yes. So I would really say that there's not there's not a single one of us who wouldn't be able to look around, even if we only have cracks in cement <laughs> where we are and find I some teachings this. of a dandelion. I love or, this, Ada. Like I have yeah. to say, um, last year I was going through a big boundary moment and wasps came and started building a wasp nest right in front of my front door. And everyone was like, knock it down. You got to knock that down like right away. And I was like, I don't feel that energy at all. I feel like they're here to, to teach me to protect myself. And it was just like, it was so clear that they were there with me. Like I never felt concerned. I, I was not scared of them. I was not worried <laughs> at all. And I was like, they're yep. here for me for this season. And when the season is done, when it gets cold and they're all gone from here, I'll, I'll, you know, take the wasp nest down, but they're doing me no harm. They're actually doing me, they're, they're helping me out. It was just so clear. And when it got cold, I pulled the wasp nest down and I, I just tucked it in, in the house. You know, I just like, mm. I, I'm really grateful for this energy and it's, it's still right by the front door. Right. So <laughs> it's like, I just, am like, oh, I know why you're here. And I am really grateful for the medicine um, I love this. It also is like, you know, I think people use the language now more of like re-indigenization and things like this. And I'm like, for me, what I think of is just like, weave yourself into the world wherever you are. Like you're living, you're, you're, you know, there's this false binary, I think that people have in their heads of like, uh, there's, I'm off in nature or I go to nature and then I come back into not nature or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's all nature. It's about how you're looking at it. And if you're looking at it, nature is always with you, talking to you, through you, in you, of you. It's all around you. But it's your attention that has to shift. And once your attention shifts, you're like, look at how well I'm being cared for by this place at all times. Look at how abundant the care is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And that's, I mean, you, you just used an alternative word to presencing, which I love the way you just put it. It's attention, yes. right? Where do you bring your attention? That's, that is the practice of presencing Yes, is taking our attention from all of the very intentional distractions. Yes. There is a system at work that is intentionally trying to distract us exactly. from knowing ourselves and bringing our presencing back to the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's really about having um, such appreciation of our own attention yeah. that we're willing to safeguard it and yes. tune it into that which we care about. Oh, okay. I really love this. And I, I can imagine, you know, this just feels so applicable which is, I, I really like to think of myself as a practical witch. Like, I'm like, I really, I'm like, here's what I do. And it, I it do it and it works. And I only want to offer up things that I do. And I know that I can vouch for, you know, and mm-hmm, I love everything mm-hmm. you're offering. Cause I'm like, just also just try it, try it and keep trying things. And you'll see what works for you. Um, I have a last question for you, which is I've been in my own healing journey. It feels like for quite some time, but I go through periods where it's more intense and people still expect me to show up and bring my healing energy into the world and into them. And I'm always in this season, I'm finding not always, but in this season, I'm finding, I really want to ask people who do this work all the time. How do you navigate that piece where you have your own inner work? Sometimes maybe your own inner falling apart or your own inner confusions or doubts or insecurities and yet you still have a gift to offer. How do you navigate the both and of that? Are there times when you're like, you know, what I'm dealing with is too much for me to show up in this capacity? Or is it about boundaries? Mm-hmm. All of the above? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are times where it would not be of service to the energy that I am called to be giving my presencing to, yeah. to show up if I can't hold the space. Yeah. Um, and so it's time to take a day off. It's time to take a week off. It's time to take a month off if that's what's needed. And, yeah. and I have, I have done those things yep. um, and will continue to do those things, which is why working within community and taking healers, midwives, witches, Bruhex folks off of a pedestal yes, <laughs> is important, so right? Because sometimes I got to tap out and be like, That's you know right. what? I know another great midwife yes, <laughs> and that person is going to take really good care of you and it's my day off. Yes. Good. I also though can show up at times carrying all the waters that are moving within me. And I think I get a lot of the teachings about how to do that from things I've learned about being a parent, mm-hmm. which being a parent um, is, is a journey for me that I'm still learning every day. And I hope I continue to get to learn every day. But one of the things I learned early was it wasn't necessarily bad or, or harmful for my child to see you know, their other parent and myself, like maybe have a disagreement Uh or even for my child and I to have a disagreement or have some sort of a challenge. Yeah. Because in fact, the true gift was to let my child see us repair and see us come back Mm. together and navigate that there was what my daughter would call a storm, right? I love that. She's, she really thinks of like these, these challenges as like a storm and storms pass. That's brilliant. Yes. Right? Isn't it? I love it. So poetic. Uh, Yeah. And so in my work as a midwife, I actually think it's a gift Mm -hmm. to let the folks I'm working with see that there's been a storm. Yes. And that I'm in a mode of self-care, healing, repair with boundaries. So I'm not going to necessarily share the backstory. Yes. But I might be holding my mug of tea and saying, yeah, you know, I didn't get a lot of sleep. Um, I'm so glad to be here with you yeah. in this prenatal visit. Um, you know, my family's moving through a lot of things. I'm drinking some Tulsi with honey. It's really helping. Um, and we engage in a prenatal visit and maybe halfway through, hey, I feel like getting up and doing some movement and walking a little bit. Yes. 
are you, do you want to do, do you want to go outside and have a walk with me? Or I'm going to sit on the birth ball too, while you sit on the birth <laughs> ball and we're both going to bounce because I'm in this experience too. Yes. And I hope modeling that it's okay to be complex in the moment, that this isn't performative. Healing is not performative. Healing is not going to be the healer is always healed. The healer, in fact, often needs the most healing. Oftentimes <laughs> we go towards this work. Exactly. You know, we go towards it because we need that much healing. Yes. So, yeah, coming with boundaries that do mean I'm not trying to seek something from the person I'm in a space of holding a container for in that moment, as far as them owing me something or needing to address my needs, but also being able to say, I have needs. Yes. <laughs> I am, I am in a moment That's right. in which something's going on. And that to me is about a vulnerability yeah. and a letting go of an armoring that then allows them to potentially let go of certain armoring for their own deeper healing. Ah, Ooh, that really resonates. That resonates so much. I mean, I, I think that there's this way, you know, I think there's this way when you, I look around at all the people I've been on healing path with, and there was a set of us who had the perfectionist training who are like, I began this healing path. I've, I've taken three steps. And now I'm trying to perfect being a healer already, having taken those three steps. And it's not to say that we're not really good at whatever those three steps are, but it's like a tip of an iceberg has actually been touched and addressed. And then there's the whole iceberg underneath that still actually needs this ongoing healing work. And I find it so humbling, you know, now when younger people approach me and they're like, I want to do what you do, learn to do what you're doing, whatever, you know. And I laugh because I'm just like, I am still finding my own way of doing what I'm doing. I am writing and I am healing and I am moving energy in the world. And I get more and more confident every day in how to do that. And I'm still figuring it out. And I, I, because I think that's what it is to be human is to find ways to reintegrate ourselves um, in the face of systems that have detached us really from ourselves or are trying to constantly detach us from ourselves to use us like batteries, right? Like I'm like, I am mm -hmm. reclaiming the energy, the life force of my life. That's actually all mm -hmm. I'm doing, <laughs> you know, and I'm doing it in relationship with others. So um, it really, you know, you're one of those people for me who I always feel like you turn on all these energetic places within me that I'm like, okay, great. Now I'm going to be integrating that for a while, <laughs> you know, and, and reflecting on that and thinking about that and it'll change me. And so I want to thank you so much for being down to come into this conversation and be in this dance between the work that we're doing. And yeah, I, I just love you. I just think you're the best <laughs> in a non-pedestal way. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. I feel exactly the same in a non-pedestal way. I love you so much and I appreciate this conversation and I appreciate you and all the work that you're doing in the world and your your naming that it's yeah. a reclamation of your own sacred energy yeah. um, and the importance of really knowing that so that you can conserve it and be able to sustain it. That's it. Now, if people, I know people are going to hear this and they're going to be like, queerception, how do I get down? Like what? So yeah. how do people follow up if they're like, I want to know more about your work. I want I, that, something in what you said feels like path to me. Like, how do you want people to follow up with you? Yes. Great. Well, I really feel like one of the main things that I do believe in is when people reach out, I will respond to yes. you. And I do when, and if, if somebody says to me, like, I'm excited, I think that that's so vulnerable yes. and it's such a, um, a really important seed. And I'm going to encourage you on your, I, I will encourage you on your path yeah. because people encouraged me. And so even if folks just don't actually have a solid question or know mm -hmm. exactly why something woke up in them, please do reach my way. Um, because I do want you to feel like you're not alone in this world mm -hmm. and that there are 
pathways forward for support. So email is the best way because Queerception is um, forthcoming with a website and a chat book that will be available online to download and hopefully also in print. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so email me so that I can get you onto um, the list of folks who are going to find out about all of that first. And the best way to reach uh, Courtney and I is at hellocqueerception at gmail.com. Oh, I was supposed to read something from Fables and Spells. Um, Yes, this feels right. (laughs) All right, this is called August 25th, 2020. And it's one of my Black August poems. You are meant to love in spite of everything past. You need to be loved. You are meant for freedom in spite of constant cages. You are still so wild. You are built to hold in spite of the erasure. You're built for worship. You're here to thrive. This is your reclamation, your orgasmic, yes. Ooh, a little bit of haiku on an afternoon. All right, I love you. Ciao, 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 everybody. (laughs) Bye. Thank you. Thank you, love. I, I just adore you. This uh, podcast of ours is produced by the incomparable and incredible Zach Rosen. If you um, are receiving, you know, good things from this show, feel free to become a patron of the show. It helps us to continue to make the offer without any kind of sponsorship or other um, economic ties. You can give at patreon.com slash into the world show. We're on Instagram at into the world PC. Thank you so much. Bye.